All right, good morning. All right, so this is week nine of our series on boundaries in which we are looking at the topic of boundaries. We're looking really at uh, this idea of when do we say no and when do we say yes and how do we, really the definition of a boundary is, how do we create uh, things that allow the good to come in and to keep the bad out? How do we create these invisible fences that define what is and what is not our responsibility? We've seen over these past couple weeks that boundaries are developed because of a lack of unconditional love. And when we feel unloved or insecure, we begin to squeeze other people and we create all kinds of problems in ourselves and in other people's lives. And we've started to apply these principles uh, to various relationships, specific relationships that we have. Family relationships, friendships, uh, spouse, children. Last week we did work. And today we look at the boundary relationship that we have with ourselves. Up to this point, all of the boundaries that we've been dealing with uh, could be referred to as external boundaries. They're relationships with other people. But this morning, what we're going to look at is an internal boundary struggle that we have. The boundary issues that we have with ourselves. And in some ways, this is the most difficult one to deal with. Because you can limit your exposure to crazy uncles, to crazy friends, to crazy everybody's. But every morning you get up in the morning, you take your shower, you brush your teeth, you look in the mirror, and there you are. You cannot limit your exposure to yourself. And so in some ways, an external boundary problem is easier to deal with than an internal one. An internal problem is the most difficult of all. And I was thinking, even, even as Chris was singing that last song with the worship team, you know, King of My Heart, and I was thinking to myself, I hope I mean that stuff. And I, I've thought to myself how hard I have to work just to mean the words that we sing on a Sunday morning. Um, and that's all me. Uh, growing up in church, there was uh, a lot of times you'd hear this phrase, um, love, <laughs> love the sinner but hate their sin. And a couple of years ago, I heard, you know, Tony Campolo, who said something very different, which has really struck a chord with me, and I like it way better than the whole love the sinner, hate the sin thing. But he says, you know, love the sinners and hate your own sin. And I think if we just had this mentality that we're going to start working on ourselves and just not so concerned about everybody else, but where do I have issues that I need to deal with? And we know, if we're honest, that we have enough to deal with, that we can just allow other people a little bit of freedom and grace and let them deal with their stuff, and we can start working on our own. There was a a situation in counseling that came up uh, a couple years ago, and the book reports this in, in the book Boundaries that I've been going through, and I found this story that he talked about of one of his counseling sessions to be so fascinating. There was a woman who came in to see the counselor, and she started her session by saying, I haven't told you about a relationship that I have before, though I know I should have. I have tremendous boundary problems with this woman. She eats too much. She has an attacking tongue. She's undependable. She lets me down all the time. She spends my money, and she doesn't pay me back. And I can't stand her. And the counselor says, well, who is it? You should have told me about this before. This sounds like a big, hairy deal. And she says, it's me, right? Um, setting healthy internal boundaries is one of the most difficult and frustrating things we have to work through. And each of us carries around unique personality and desires. They're forged by our past. And we find ourselves saying yes to things in the present that we know will hurt our future, 
but we say yes anyway. The ironic thing is if I were to come to one of you, and it could be even one of you randomly, almost, I'd make a good choice. I wouldn't make it random. But if I were to come to one of you and I would say, I just want you to manage my life. I'm having a hard time with it. Just manage it for me. And I was to just hand over to you the issue of my finances. And I was to say to you, you just manage it. And before I buy something, I'm going to come to you and you just tell me whether I can or can't. The ironic thing is you could do a lot better job of that, right? You would just crunch my numbers. You'd look at my money. And when I am tempted and I am in the mall, which I never go to, um, you would just say, you don't need that sweater. And when I go to the car dealer, also never go to, you could say, you don't need that car. And every time I was tempted to buy something that I really want but can't afford, your desires would be for my best interest, and you just tell me no until you can tell me yes because I have the money. You would not be driven by my desires, but you would be driven by the logic on the behalf of what would benefit me. But for some reason, for ourselves, when we throw our desires into the equation, everything gets muddled and everything gets messy. The problem of unhealthy internal boundaries is obviously not a new one. The danger of saying yes to things that we should say no to and saying no to things that we should say yes to is a problem that has been around ever since sin entered into this world. It is a problem that the Apostle Paul himself, he wrote 13 books of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul himself struggles with. And he records for us in a fascinating passage, and it's found for us in Romans chapter 7, verses 4 through 25. And so this morning, we're going to take some time, and we're going to look at this passage, and we're going to try to apply it to our lives, and see what it has to tell us about why we struggle to set unhealthy internal boundaries, and how we can set them for the future. The passage, Romans chapter 7, is found for you on page 915. And if you don't have a Bible, you can use one of ours. It's just in the blue book right in front of you. And if you want to keep the Bible, you can. We give them out free. Uh, Romans chapter 7, verses 4 through 25. And in this passage, it's kind of long, but I'm going to read it. And it's so uh, engaging, the content in and of itself, that I'm sure you won't find your mind wandering. But as you listen to this passage, learn to listen to what he describes And then listen to the struggle that he records. What he describes and the struggle that he records. Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 4. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. But now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Well, certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin is or was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me a kind of coveting, every kind of coveting. Once, for apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin, it sprang to life and I died. 
I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought me death. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and they are righteous and they are good. But did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it is used, what is good, to bring about my death, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, and if I do what I did not want to do, I agree that the law is good, but as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body which is subject to death? Thanks be to our God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. There's one major big idea that I want you to see from this text, and it's really an interesting one. You see Paul describing his inner uh, struggle. But what he says here is that our inability, our inability to set internal boundaries, and you see it in the text, is sustained by the law, and it leads to death. Our inability to set internal boundaries, to tell ourselves no, is sustained by the law and it leads to death. Now, as you read this text, you may start to think to yourself, well, then the law is bad. But Paul goes out of his way, and we see it, it's uh, verse, I believe, 13. He goes out of his way to say that the law is still good. And he says, if we could do it in verse 16, it would be a benefit to us. So Paul is not saying that the law is bad, although it may seem like it if you do not look closely. Or he's not saying that the law is bad. He's saying the law is good. But he does say that our inability to set internal boundaries is sustained by the law and it leads to our death. So we must have at least somewhat of a working definition of what does Paul mean by law here. The word law really carries two definitions. And we looked at one in week three when we were looking at laws and myths. A law can be an undeniable fact of reality. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. You know, like the law of gravity. Law can also be what Paul is talking about here, which is nothing more than rules that lead to human flourishing. We set up law so that we have some kind of codes or rules that lead to human flourishing. And the goal of the law is that it would kind of um, help us to attain a level of security and happiness and prosperity. 
That's kind of in some ways what our government is all about, right? They set laws for us, and if we follow those laws, they are proclaiming that our our country will flourish and do well. That's what they all want. And so when we look at this, the law in itself is not bad, but the law has two insurmountable challenges Two challenges that make it impossible for the law by itself to bring us to a point of human flourishing. And these are just fascinating. There are two challenges. The first one is not explicit in our text, but uh, it's kind of implied. And then the second one is explicit. The first challenge that the law has is that it's very hard for us all to agree on what the law is. The first challenge that the law has is it's hard for us to agree on what the law is. What should be a part of the law? People argue, what is right and wrong? And a big part of our parenting, is our children, is to instill in them some kind of moral compass that guides them in what is right and what is wrong. But it doesn't take a lot of time to speak with other people, to come to the place that we understand that not everybody agrees on what is right and what is wrong. We do not all agree on what would help human beings flourish. It's similar in the, uh, the polit- political scene. We have different candidates, and they tell us how they think we will flourish, and they have very different ideas. And I just don't even know what to do with it because I don't know who's telling me the truth. But what couldn't be more clear to me is that they don't agree on how this country and how our people will flourish. We can't all agree on what is right to do and what is wrong to do. The second insurmountable problem that the law has, and this is explicit in our text, we cannot keep the law that we do agree on. We cannot keep the law that we do agree on. And so even if we were to throw out all authority, so for some people, their authority might be the Bible, and they're going to say, I'm going to do exactly what the Bible says, and if I do exactly what the Bible says, then I will flourish. There might be other people who say, I've got a code and it's kind of my conscience. And if I follow it exactly, I am going to flourish. But what we come to the conclusion of, and it doesn't take us very long to do so, and I'll illustrate and help you see this here in a second, is that we cannot keep the law that we do agree on. Imagine with me that there was no authority and that you personally were just the authority and you were to set up a rule list for yourself, of what you are going to do and what you are not going to do, and you are going to flourish if you do what's in that rule list. The truth is, you would have an incredibly difficult time keeping your own rules. So let's just forget for a second and just ignore the fact that everybody else is trying to set the rules. And let's just bring ourselves to a place where we just say, and admit freely, that if we were to set the rules, we would have a hard time keeping those rules. And I'm going to illustrate this. There's seven areas that I think we all struggle with, or a lot of us struggle with. And maybe they're not all things that you do, but there are seven things that are very common. Internal boundary areas where we struggle to tell ourselves no. And when we don't tell ourselves no, even though we've defined what is bad in these seven areas, we condemn ourselves by not doing what we know we should do. Let me show you what I mean. And I'm going to put them all up there. You can look at them at once. Internal boundaries, we struggle to tell ourselves no. Eating. 
We tell ourselves that it's going to be different this time, and I'm not going to eat this stuff, and I'm going to eat this stuff. And usually uh, the stuff we say we're not going to eat is good, and the things that aren't aren't as good, you know, taste-wise. And But it's going to be different this time. But yet we usually find ourselves going back to what we said we're not going to eat. We might do good for a little while. The second area is money. We set a budget. And we work really hard, and this time it's going to be different, and I'm not going to overspend, and I'm not going to tell myself that a couple, you know, I'm not going to tell myself I'll get a second job to make up my mistakes. But even though we set rules for ourselves, and some of us are great with eating, some of us are great with budget, but we know a lot of people who aren't. Third time, we may tell ourselves, you know, I'm not going to mess around watching Netflix and playing Temple Run. But then we get in bed at night when we think we should be running, or when we should be reading, and we just gravitate towards our phones, it's just so easy, you know? The little guy just goes forever as long as we don't, you know, run into anything. Fourth, task completion. Some of us really struggle with this, and we say, it's going to be different, and generally January 1st, we say it's going to be different, and we struggle to complete our tasks even though we said it's going to be different. I'm going to finish this book instead of just starting this book. I'm going to take care of that faucet that I've just let drip for an entire year. But you just let it drip. It would only take 15 minutes. Drip, drip. Fifth, the tongue. Some of us have gotten ourselves in trouble by speaking bad about other people. And we say, it's going to be different. I'm not going to speak about other people poorly anymore because I've gotten myself in a world of trouble. James in chapter 3 has this incredible illustration about the tongue. He says the tongue is like a rudder of a ship. And there's this huge ship. And the rudder is just this small piece of wood. And you just move it back and forth and it guides the whole ship. And James says the tongue is like that. It's not really that big. Right? And yet, it guides and it dictates our entire life. I don't know, mine can't be much more than three inches by one and a half inch, you know. I probably got the dimensions wrong on that. But it's going to be different. We tell ourselves it's going to be different, and yet that rudder right there, it's just so easy to talk bad about other people. Six, our sexuality. We say we're not going to look at this, and we say we're going to do this, and we're going to engage with our spouse, and yet... For whatever reasons, and there's all kinds of reasons, there's baggage. We allow our sexual behavior to dictate and our desire, and we go down roads that destroy us. And seventh, alcohol and substance abuse. And we know all kinds of people who say, it's just going to be different this time. You know, it's going to be different. But it's hard to change. We keep telling ourselves, and we struggle with these things, and all of us, if we've experienced, and some of us have these, some of these under control, and some of us, as I read some of these, some of you don't have some of those under control. But whichever ones you do or don't have in control, you know you don't want to have these areas out of control. And if these areas have been out of control in your life, you've reaped the consequences of negative, destructive things in your life, and you would like to not reap those things. And yet... We can't limit our exposure to ourselves. We have to learn to deal with these areas. And what we find is that when we can't hold back or when we can't set internal boundaries on what we do, 
that it's not us that's in charge, but it's our actions that are in charge. And that applies to everything we talked about before. Everything. The problem with all internal conflict bound, or internal boundary conflicts is that our boundaryless behavior becomes a tyrant. He's demanding and he's insatiable. And no matter how, don't, how many donuts we eat, things we buy, hours we spend watching Netflix or pornography or any of these other issues, our inner desire is never satisfied. It just wants more. And it wants more, and we keep going down a, a pathway to destruction, and our inability to say no to our lust and our desire drives us deeper. And I know I, I sound like a real downer this morning, but it, it does, doesn't it? It drives us deeper into despair and hopelessness and shame, and it drives us away from meaningful relationships with other people. And so why do we struggle so mightily to set healthy internal boundaries. I just have a couple things that I think we all go through, and they're things that we struggle with. And the first is we fail to take responsibility. We fail to take responsibility. It's almost default. It's really, really easy for us to say that other people are the reason we are doing what we are doing. But there is incredible power and freedom in saying to yourself that I am the problem and therefore I am the solution. And some of the problems that you may have in your past, they really may be the result of other person's behavior in your life, but only you can take up the responsibility to do something about it. Your parents may have done something to you that has led you to be deeply hurt and deeply wounded, but it's not your parents' responsibility to fix it, and in fact, they can't. And often if they've done that to hurt you, it could be a friend, it could be anybody, they probably don't have the will or the ability to help you fix it anyway. And so you could go on blaming them forever or you could take up responsibility to call the truth the truth and say, yeah, they really hurt me, but now I've got to make a change and do something different. The second reason I think we struggle to set internal boundaries, and this one is huge, is that when we are doing destructive things, when we are having these conflicts that we are giving into and saying yes when we should say no, or saying no when we should say yes, for some reason, it has the, the consequence of taking us away and causing us to withdraw from relationships. This seems to be our natural instincts. That when we do not feel like we are awesome and great, it causes us to not be around other people, want to be around other people. We see this right from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve, when they willfully rebelled against God by doing what he had told them not to do, the first thing they did was went into the bushes and hid from God. Because when we do what is wrong, that's our natural instinct. But we have to fight it. The more we isolate ourselves, the harder our struggle becomes. And the ironic thing is that it is the relationships that we have that are the very means that God wants to use to help us overcome the struggles that we have internally. Third, we struggle to set internal boundaries because we rely on willpower. We rely on our willpower. The husband that says to his wife, next time I won't do this, whatever the this is, 
is just thinking to himself, I'm just going to buckle down and I'm not going to do it. There's this great video. You can go online and watch it. It's, this, uh, it's Bob Newhart. I, I, and he's a counselor in this video. And he has this gal that comes in to see him. And she, he says, listen, my sessions only take five minutes. And usually they only take two. But I charge a dollar a minute. And it doesn't matter if you don't take the full mi- five minutes. It's five dollars. There's no refunds and I don't make change. And so the lady says, okay, that sounds good. All right. Well, what's your problem, he says. And she says, well, you know, I've got this childhood thing, and my parents treated me really bad, and I just really am afraid every time I get in an elevator that I'm going to be buried alive or something like this. And so Bob Newhart says, well, just stop it. And she says, what do you mean? And he says, you know, it's funny. Every time I say that, everybody asks me, what do I mean? It's really simple. Just stop it. And she says, well, okay. And then she goes and says another thing. You know, I I really struggle um, with heights. And every time I get up high, I feel like I'm going to die. And he just yells, just stop it. And every time it's just stop it. Every single problem, just stop it. And we watch that, and that is kind of the solution. We kind of all know, you know, I'm struggling with overeating. Well, don't overeat. I'm struggling with wasting my time and playing too much video games on my telephone. Well, don't do that. We all kind of know that, but we don't have the willpower to stop it. Just stop it is not enough. And so we have these three things. They're almost like these myths or lies that we tell ourselves, you know, uh, it's not my fault. I don't need others, and I've got the willpower to handle it on my own. And if we take that uh, stance, we will always find ourselves in exactly what Romans chapter 7 describes. I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I want to do. What a wretched man that I am. Our inability to set internal boundaries is sustained by the law, and it leads to death, or we might say just destruction. This means that we cannot ensure human flourishing through just setting more laws and giving more rules. If the goal of the society was to have its members stop drinking alcohol, you could not get that result by simply making a law that says it's illegal to drink alcohol. And our country tried to do that very thing, didn't it? It doesn't work. So then how do we set internal boundaries? If our ability to set internal boundaries, our inability to set internal boundaries, is sustained by the law and leads to death, then the opposite is also true. Our ability to set internal boundaries is sustained by the Spirit of God and it leads to life. And I want to show you what I mean. Our ability to set internal boundaries is sustained by the Spirit and it leads to life. Here's what I mean. Galatians chapter 5 has this interesting passage. It's right before Paul lists a a set of things, some that are bad and some that are good. But in this passage, you'll notice the same concepts uh, throughout it. Galatians 5, 16 through 18, and I have it up on the screen behind me. Paul says this, "So So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. For they are in conflict with one another, and see just the same language of Romans 7, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. What Paul is saying here 
is that there is another way to set internal boundaries for ourselves. In fact, what he's saying there is there is a more effective way to set internal boundaries. And it all is wrapped up in what he says in verse 16, to live by the Spirit, to live by the Spirit. Now that seems kind of esoteric and out there, kind of vague and ambiguous. What does it look like to live by the Spirit? And I've just got three things I'm going to give you as takeaways. And, um, and then I'm going to pray for you that we can do it. And you'll notice that they're the exact opposites of the things that cause us to not be able to set internal boundaries. The first is that we need to learn to take ownership for our behavior. Our behavior problems may not be all our fault, but they are our responsibility. Even if they're caused by family problems, neglect, abuse, only you can do anything about them. You need to take ownership for your internal boundary problems. The second thing you need to do is you need to surround yourself with godly relationships with people. There's this well-known verse that Paul has in Philippians chapter 4. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But if you read the very next verse, this has always fascinated me. In verse 14, you can go home this afternoon and look it up. Paul says, but it was good of you to share with me in my troubles. And so this idea that we are okay by ourselves and that we can do it all on our own if we just rely on the Spirit is wrong. The Spirit of God uses us, each other, to help us follow God better. And so we cannot do it by ourselves. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but it was good of you to share in my troubles. He never meant for us to do this alone. I guess if you get put in a jail cell and you don't have exposure to any other people, I think God can help you through that time. But none of you are that delinquent that you're going to end up in jail most likely. You have access to all of us. And as, as weird and as flawed as we can all be, when we get together and we start learning what it looks like to love in communities of grace, we have incredible power to help each other live by the Spirit. If others know what you are struggling with, pray for you and are accountable to you, and you accountable to them, you are so much more likely to do what Paul says, live by the Spirit. And third, we need to rely on the Spirit of God. We need to pray. We need to put ourselves in the Word of God If we want the Spirit of God to speak to us, it takes something. It's very simple. It just takes time. We cannot say, I want the Spirit of God to speak with me and then not engage with God himself. I guess we have to put down our phones and quit playing Temple Run. Quit watching Netflix every so often. And we have to spend time with God. (coughs) There's no other way to do it. And while living by the Spirit sounds ambiguous and awesome, but we're all kind of unsure on how to do it, taking ownership for what's going wrong in your life and saying, I'm the problem, I'm the solution, surrounding yourself with godly relationships, and putting down the phone and spending time purposefully with God, which will feel weird and unnatural in the beginning, is how we live by the Spirit. And if we want the beauty of Jesus in our lives, 
We need to learn to do this. And so let me pray for you as we struggle together to do it. Let me pray. (coughs) Father, we ask that you'd work in our lives. We long for the beauty of Jesus to be evident to us and shown to others. But most of all, we long for it for ourselves. I want others to see the beauty of Jesus, but I want to have a vision of who you are that makes other things look worthless. I confess that my default is not in that direction, and I assume that there's a lot that are like me. And I pray that by your Spirit, you would reform our desires, and you would give us incredible joy as we follow you. Help us to set internal boundaries that lead to life. We pray all of this through the name of Christ. Amen.